the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Friday, September 22nd, 2023. I'm a little nervous seeing the whole team in one room all to my west. Is, is everything okay over there? You guys. Are... This is an intervention. Well, okay. This is a directional intervention. Yeah. Everyone... The whole team had to come together. Yeah, to the westernmost point. No. What? This is north. It isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. This is north. Have I been wrong this whole time? Yes. Yep. I've been wrong this whole time. So this I is north. Oh, my gosh. Really? Okay. David Dahl is to my north. Miss Terry is to my north. And Mr. Bill is to my north. The whole team had to come together For to For everyone else, 602-508-0960. Whatever your cardinal points. You're actually right. Because, yeah, okay. How have... How, you know what? I'm going to intervene on you guys. You guys have let me get away with being wrong for all this time. This is really on you. This is really on you. You guys are to my We're point. not shifting blame. Oh, yeah, we are. Bird I've got out my compass, and it's pointing to north. <laughs> yes, so when Mr. Bill is where he's supposed to be. He would be to your east. Yeah, I guess that's right. Okay. Yesterday, I addressed the crisis of our house divided as between the left and the rest of us. What Sarah Huckabee Sanders calls the debate between normal and crazy. Nearly 60 years before Governor Sanders issued that call, Ronald Reagan, in his Time for Choosing speech, identified the problem this way. He said, quote, you and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as left or right. There's only an up or down, up to man's age-old dream, the ultimate and individual freedom consistent with law and order or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. They've done quite more than that since then, haven't they? Matt Walsh was saying yesterday on the show, I was playing audio of Matt Walsh, that it almost feels as if we're living the parable of if you give a mouse a cookie— a children's story described this way, for those who may not know it, a boy gives a cookie to a mouse. The mouse asks for a glass of milk. He then requests a straw to drink the milk, a napkin, and then a mirror to avoid a milk mustache, nail scissors to trim his hair in the mirror, and a broom to sweep up his hair trimmings. Next, he wants to take a nap, have a story read to him, draw a picture, and hang the drawing on the refrigerator. Looking at the refrigerator makes him thirsty, so the mouse asks for a glass of milk again, and the circle is complete when he once again asks if he can have a cookie to go with his glass of milk. That's us and the left, isn't it? But there is also an obvious palpable house divided in our own Republican or conservative home, too, is there not? It's been melded ever since William Buckley founded the National Review, taking on the Republican Party of Dwight Eisenhower, and then, of course, again in his famous mayoral run, New York City, in 1965, where he challenged the Republican nominee, John Lindsay. And, of course, Goldwater the year before in the fights between his nomination and the Rockefeller, Scranton, Romney wing of the party. Yes, uh, 
Same family, Romney. Mitt's dad. That's when Governor Scranton issued the salvo that the conservative movement around and within the Goldwater campaign and movement was extreme. And that's why Goldwater gave his extremism in defense of liberty speech. It wasn't about the Soviet Union or Vietnam. It was about the East Coast of the Republican Party. And this would be why Ronald Reagan had no compunction about challenging the sitting Republican president in 1976, Gerald Ford. We as conservatives have been challenging our own house for some years now, but it is still eminently true that, per Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Abraham Lincoln, a house divided against itself cannot stand. In his famous 1858 speech stating that, Abraham Lincoln put it this way when the debate was between slavery and freedom, or slave states wanting protection and non-slave states wanting to end slavery or arrest it where it was so that it could not expand and grow, but rather die over time, much like what Ronald Reagan would later say about the Soviet Union in predicting its fall if it were arrested. He said it would be just another sad, bizarre chapter in human history whose last pages even now are being written. What Ronald Reagan thought of the Soviet Union is what Abraham Lincoln was thinking of slavery. So in his 1858 speech, Abraham Lincoln put the debate in his day this way, quote, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other, close quote. I think of the country that way today is between freedom and socialism, as we spoke of yesterday. But I also think a little bit about it, too, in respect of the Republican Party and the conservative movement. The differences are not as vast, obviously. But unless we come to terms with them in some form of agreement or modus vivendi, I do believe our larger house of America will become one thing or all the other until we the conservatives and Republicans get our own house in order. The greatest scholar of Abraham Lincoln, Harry Jaffa, put it this way once, it would certainly seem that the salvation of the West must come, if it is to come, from the United States. And the salvation of the United States, if it is to come, must come from the Republican Party. And the salvation of the Republican Party, if it is to come, must come from the conservative movement within it. And the salvation of the conservative movement, if it is to come, must come from the renewal and reaffirmation of the principles of the American founding, embodied above all in the Declaration of Independence, such a reaffirmation as happened in the events that led to the election of Abraham Lincoln. Close quote. So when we look at our party and movement, just how united around all of the foregoing are we? And just how much of our fighting time and energy is exercised and exerted against the left, as opposed to our fighting time and energy and exertions against fellow conservatives and Republicans. I can tell you on social media that DeSantis and Trump camps spend far more time arguing with and against each other than pointing out the decline of the West or our country from the hands and works and ideology of the Democratic Party and the left. If we're being honest, I think it's true and fair to say we see analogs to that here in Arizona as well and elsewhere. And the exemplars of these divisions don't need to be Trump or DeSantis necessarily. In truth, they aren't very good ones precisely because it's not about moderacy and more rough-hewn ideology or adherence to it. But that exists here and elsewhere, too. I could go on and on regarding this point. I'll just say this. 
I think a lot of Trump supporters are actually more conservative than DeSantis supporters, but also they are more conservative than Donald Trump. That's its own long story. I suspend here for a moment because, as I say, I think the divisions in our movement are not so much about those two men as they are everything that radiates out of the debates regarding them and others. For example, there are still large swaths of our party and movement that disdain social conservatism and vice versa. But here's where I think we ought to focus if we are going to prevail and bring the salvation we all want, the thing that ends the crazy. In Psalm 113, we're told how beautiful it is for brethren to sit in unity, which is where a party committed to principle or a set of principles should always sit in unity. It's another set of biblical passages that I worry about, however, and that a house divided against itself cannot stand. They, the Democrats, should be divided, not us. They're the ones that try to divide the country, after all. They're the ones that break so many norms, as we detailed yesterday, after all, and they still try. Perhaps in our lifetime, the politician who most studied and made the most use of Lincoln imagery was Barry Goldwater. And it dawned on me, you know, everyone remembers his 1964 presidential campaign and fight in the Republican Party to to secure the nomination. Few remember his efforts four years before that. But he gave an equally, no, not equally, but he gave a very important speech at the 1960 convention after withdrawing his name from the nomination, knowing he could not get enough delegates to beat Richard Nixon. In those days or that year, Nixon was seen as the liberal Republican, and there was an early effort to nominate Goldwater instead. It didn't materialize in a much, but a lot of the convention's conservatives were unhappy that Goldwater did not get the nomination. And in that speech, Goldwater is famous for yelling, let's grow up, conservatives. But why he said that and leading up to what he said, that should be our roadmap and rule for our party and movement. And I'll talk about that when we come back from the break, which we will do so in just a moment. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Let's make it a fun Friday, shall we? 602-508-0960, 602-50-D-8960 to come on and uh, contribute to the show. I was talking about the House divided um, that I've been thinking about a lot is between what the Democrats want for this country and what the Republicans want for this country and how the divisions are so vast. But um, also that there is a bit of a division, too, not quite uh, not quite the same uh, uh, cleavage that exists between Republicans and Democrats. But within our own party, we have to get our house in order. This house divided against itself uh, cannot stand either, not if we are going to stand against the Democratic Party. And um, I was thinking about, you know, often how this materializes in primary elections. And it's interesting that you see most of the exertions and energies of the campaigns within the Republican primary aiming their anger, aiming their strongest arguments, even their vitriol, more so against fellow Republicans than against Democrats. And there does have to be a measure of that, obviously, as you are in a struggle for the for the nomination in your party for whatever office you're running for, be it president, governor, House member, whatever, Senate. 
But it always seemed to me that it is the better statesman and the better candidate that has the equation where more of the energy and exertion is against the opposing power and less of it is against your fellow Republicans. There has to be a measure of it. There has to be a measure of it. But I think at the end of the day, people are also looking. We're going to have another debate next week, another presidential debate at the Reagan Library this time. There, I, I, there is a degree of observation which is not who necessarily gets the best one-liners off or necessarily is the quickest on their feet. There is something about who do you see will be the best to take on the Democrat, whoever that Democrat is, whether it's uh, Joe Biden, whom I increasingly think it won't be, or whether it's someone else. Who do you think the candidate is that will best be able to take that person on? And to get that measurement for ourselves, for voters to acquire the necessary data to make that judgment, it would behoove the Republicans to spend much of their rhetoric, much of their time, uh, much of their brain, and uh, much of their effort on their critique of what is going on with with and under democratic governance. Post-primary, more lately than in the past, but always with us has been the resentments when our candidate or your candidate, whether it was the more moderate one or the more conservative one, didn't make it. The other side of that equation, the other side of that fuselage, has always been asked to lick their wounds and then lick their chops and roll up their sleeves and get to work for the party. So, For example, when a lot of conservatives were less than delighted that McCain secured the nomination or that Mitt Romney secured the nomination, they were asked and beseeched to get over it, roll up their sleeves and get to work for the Republican nominee because your 80 percent friend is not your 20 percent enemy. The Democratic Party is the 80 percent non-friend. That is who you need to work against. And one of the more unfortunate things, because I think the conservatives who tend in the past to have lost in these primary races, the more conservative candidates and their troops, have been asked to support the moderate. They've done so. They've been pretty good about it. But I was, as I was saying to a group the other night, I think the shoe now needs to be firmly put on the other foot as well. That when a conservative or a more conservative candidate wins a primary, it is equally incumbent on the less conservative part of the Republican movement that may not have gotten their candidate in to lick their wounds and lick their chops and get behind the Republican candidate, again, being an 80 percent friend rather than a 20 percent enemy and usually not 80 percent, but usually 90 percent, quite honestly, or more. It typically has been the conservatives at the losing end of the stick who have been asked to get to work and do go to work, whereas the less conservative have been asked to get to work and don't. A little bit more resentment there, or at least a little bit longer lingering resentment there. And that's how you get a house divided as well. And I thought there was good instruction from Barry Goldwater on this when he didn't get the nomination in 1960. And he said when Nixon got it over him, whether your guy won or not, there's a far greater opponent. He said, quote, the Democrats serve up nothing less than a blueprint for socialism. 
He then spoke. That's a direct quote. He then spoke for about five minutes on how the party is bigger than any one man and to stay home, quote, just because your man didn't make it is to vote for that blueprint. He said that blueprint in the Democratic Party stood for three principles. One, the abandonment of the dignity of man. Two, the abandonment of our economic way of life. Three, a commitment to making America a second-rate power. And I'm blown away by his prescience, or at least the analogies to today. For those things, he said, is what the party is against, and every good conservative, knowing the stakes, must put their shoulder to the wheel for Richard Nixon to stop it. That's a direct quote from him in 1960. Every good conservative, knowing the stakes, must put their shoulder to the wheel for Richard Nixon to stop it. And then he said, let's grow up, conservatives, and that it was childish to stay home because your primary candidate did not win. And he then said, quote, if our movement wants to take the party back, and I think we can, get to work and work harder. But in the meantime, we have a Democratic Party to defeat. Let's remember that. We all have a Democratic Party to defeat. And it doesn't represent, as it did in 1960, a blueprint for socialism anymore. It represents, it forces a kinetic activity and ideology of socialism, current and present with us now. There is simply no moral point I can think of, not one. That would put personalities over principles and personal grievances and preferences that nobody will care about, but will allow socialism to be our new governing philosophy, which will immiserate everyone, not just disappointed Republicans. So indeed, I think to cease our house from being divided, we do need to grow up as conservatives and return to the roots of our party and our country, initiated and surrounded as they were by, if I may, the principles of the American founding, embodied, above all, in the Declaration of Independence, which speaks to us about not only permanent self-evident truths, but our natural rights in securing not only this country, but those truths. That is what we need to rally around and work out from there, the principles of the American founding. For that, I think all of us can agree, is not an 80% or 90% proposition, but a 100% one. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems and forcing solutions that only benefit the elite. Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter. From draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, Midas believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power. And their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency. They've been used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you know and trust the veterans, Midas Gold Group, like me. 
because they're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Call the Midas Gold Group at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com. Joe in Glendale is a first-time caller. Welcome, Joe. How are you? Very good. How about yourself, Seth? I'm doing fine. Thank you, sir. So, Seth, I'd like to comment on your your last comment that you made just before the break. Surely, uh, I've been a I've been a Republican for fifty years. Okay, I've supported the Republican Party. I have since left the party in oh, okay. in, in the last six years. Okay, and the reason I left the party is because for years we took to heart what Goldwater told us. It didn't matter mattered that we get Republicans elected. So when someone who was more moderate or more liberal than I liked was nominated, I still went ahead. I, I did phone booths for George Bush. I did phone booths for uh, McCain, even though I really didn't like either one of those at all. I, I, I put my effort out there. And then when we, as conservative Republicans, finally get candidates that we can support, whether that was Donald Trump or Terry Lake, what happens? The moderate and the liberal Republicans abandon us to the point we even had former Republican presidents announce they were not voting for our candidate for president. So between you and me, I am sick of it. I am a conservative. I will support the most conservative candidate. But as far as I'm concerned, the Republicans and especially the liberal side of the Republican Party can go hang themselves. All right. Well, let's, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Don't be sorry. Let's talk it out a little bit, because I don't know exactly what it means that you're no longer a Republican, because I'm presuming. But tell me if I'm presuming wrongly that every election, every two or four years, you're still voting for the Republican candidate. Are, are you not? Ninety, ninety for ninety percent of the time. Yes. OK. Uh, it, if that candidate is not the most conservative candidate, though, I will no longer vote for them. OK, fair enough. Uh, it, it would be a. A, a rare, I would think, a rare thing where the Republican would not be the most conservative candidate in a general election, I would think. I would think. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, so w- what does it mean that you've left the Republican Party then? Just that, I mean, uh, do you I, not say no you're a Republican? Do you say you're a conservative? I, I no longer register as Republican. I see. I see. I see. When the Congressional Republican Committee or the Senate Republican Committee calls me for a donation, I hang up on them. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, well, I um, I understand the sentiment, um, but you know, if you have in the past given money to senatorial or congressional committees for the Republican Party, I think it's worth you registering your very point to them. Your very point to them that every time uh, a moderate has won in a primary, we are always there for them. But when the shoe is on the foot and the conservative doesn't win the moderates run for the hills and that that's that's something that they need to fix correct and work on you should tell them that seth do you really honestly think they care do you really think the mccain wing of the republican party here in in arizona cares that carrie lake had her election stolen from her or did they just look the other way? Well, I don't know the answer to that because I don't know, Joe, in all candor, what that fully means when we talk about the McCain wing. I don't know what the McCain wing fully means. I mean, I get I get the – we're going into a break. Do you have time? This is a big issue. You want to pick sure. up on when we come back from the other side of the break? Absolutely. I appreciate it because I, yeah. I, I'm thinking that part of our problem here might be rhetorical – 
and that a lot of people pour different meanings into those kinds of phrases. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm betting, I'm betting <laughs> that 90 percent of people that voted for McCain throughout the various elections that he ran in in Arizona voted for the Republican slate last year. I'm guessing 90 percent did, if not 90, 80. 80, because I think most Republicans, most, most are mature in that sense. Now, you take something like 17,000 votes or whatever you lost by, you know, a few percent can make a difference. We'll pick up on this when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, talking a little bit about the House divided within itself in the Republican Party to the degree that it is. And we're talking with Joe in Glendale a little bit, Joe, who has been a uh, lifelong uh, identified Republican until recently um, having to do with, uh, and that recently, Joe, don't let me put words in your mouth, having to do with um, the inability uh, for so-called uh, moderates or liberal or more moderate or more liberal Republicans to get over themselves when it comes to the general and do the uh, do the thing for the party that they always ask us to do when the shoe is on the other foot. Fair enough? Is that a fair statement of you've got that exactly right yeah okay, that's thanks. exactly right yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> i'm still going to suggest um that that the percentages of moderate republicans that end up voting for the more conservative republicans in the general is a vast majority for example uh mr bill did some quick math during the break and found that 93 and a half percent of the people that voted for mccain or the numbers that voted for mccain did end up voting for carrie lake interestingly enough only 88 percent did for blake masters blake masters did worse than carrie lake interestingly in numbers and in getting out the vote but that short distance excuse me that short difference in this case perhaps uh six and a half percent it can make all the difference it can make all the difference and uh, so i don't want to blame i don't want to blame the entire is what i'm saying the entire movement but I do want to I do want to say that they got to get over themselves and lick their chops and ask themselves, are they happy with a Joe Biden presidency and a Katie Hobbs governorship? And if they are, then they were never conservatives in the first place. And they couldn't possibly have been Republicans in the first place because the Katie Hobbs governorship as the Joe Biden presidency are the two most left wing presidencies and governorships Arizona and this country have ever had. And it says something about your commitment to the country and the Republican Party if you're okay with that. Because if you are, then that means you are putting personality above principle. And if you are, it does mean you're putting your own I don't know, uh, shall we say, misprioritized self-interest above those of your fellow countrymen. I think you and I would agree on that. Seth, I would agree, but I think you're being too kind. And the reason I say that is when I first joined the Republican Party 50 years ago, what were they funding fundraising on? The poorest open border with Mexico. 50 years later, what is the latest thing I got from the Republican Party? Raising money on the poorest open border. It seems to me... Politicians in general, but in in particular, some parts of the Republican Party would rather have the issue to raise funds off of than actually fix the damn issue. I'm an engineer. We solve problems because then you had another problem you had to get on solve to. And it seems to me that the Republican Party would much rather have an issue to run on year after year after year than actually solving the damn issue. And let's start addressing other problems we have. have. So that's why I think you may be right. Uh, the question is, 
are a lot of people in the Republican Party even really conservatives, or is that what they pretend to be when election time comes every four years and then go do their own thing? Well, that that is its own interesting philosophical and political science question. Uh, Great conservative editor, writer named Midge Dechter passed away about two years ago. She's the wife of Norman Podhortz. She once said that the Republican Party is the cross the conservative movement has to carry on its shoulder. And I think she's right about that because there are Republicans that will disappoint us. And when you think about uh, the 48, 49 Republican senators in Washington, D.C., um, why is it, for example, we can only think of probably between us, it might even be the same number, but maybe, maybe five, five we really, really like. I, I think I can do do it off my head pretty Pretty easily in no particular order. What would I say? I'd say certainly Ted Cruz. Uh, I would say Tom Cotton. I would say Louisiana's John Kennedy. Um, maybe Josh Hawley is on that list. Maybe J.D. Vance is on that list. Am I missing someone? Maybe I'm missing a Rand Paul. Okay, six maybe. And maybe we don't even all agree on those six, possibly. But well, I can't get to more than six when we got 49, right? It's a good point. But no, but good- but if I am going to have a chance at getting a conservative policy passed, it's not going to be by voting for a liberal or a Democrat, no matter what they tell me. And I would – I'll let you have the last word on this or whatever you want. I, I would challenge the notion that they want the issue more than the solution because it does seem to me the better reelection strategy has always been the success that you can point to rather than the ongoing failure of the inability to get it done. And maybe we can rethink that, too. Anyway, I said a lot. Your turn. Uh, well, Seth, I agree with you, but 50 years of fundraising to get the border closed and the border's not closed, what does that tell you? That, that, that tells you that the people that are doing the fundraising are not really serious. They know it's a serious issue among the voters and that they can they can go to that well and get money. But but in all honesty, 50 years of talking about the issue and the issue is still not resolved, you know, either gross incompetence or or someone is lying. Well, it takes. (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't have a good response, except that that surprises me that they were talking about the border 50 years ago. Uh, That 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 does surprise me. But I am thinking about massive changes that we've been able to accomplish as conservatives, and they take a long time. I was thinking about the great society um, of Lyndon Johnson's in 1965, let us say, uh, when it would have it began. And it took us, you know, 35, 40 years to get that massively reformed, 1996 welfare reform. It took us a long, several decades to do that. Or if you're pro-life, how long did Roe versus Wade stock the land? 50 years before we could get that taken care of. So I'm not saying that we have to, you know, as as the way that 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 will continue to live, that, you know, it'll take two lifetimes before something gets done. But I am going to say that there are good people efforting those things, and they happen to be in one party. And I would do everything I can for that party to get more of them. That's all I'm saying, I guess. I don't think we're that far apart on this no, issue. No, I don't. No, I don't. It's just, it, it, as you said, it maybe as a result of your radio show gets pretty, gets broadcast far and wide. Maybe as a result, some of the more moderate Republicans have heard this, and maybe they will do a little self-reflection. I, I hope so. I sure hope so. Yeah. And I wonder, yeah. too, 
uh, I wonder too, Joe, you know, we named five or six U.S. senators that we think are tops, you know, out of what, a class of 49 or so. I, um, I bet we couldn't have done six ten years ago. I bet we couldn't have. I bet we couldn't have done six. I mean, I, I don't think we could have gotten to six. In other words, I think we're getting better. I think. I think we're getting better. Well, that's the positive way to end things. Okay, and, uh, all right. Well, go. All right, I like that. I like that. <laughs> am I right? You're a first-time caller? Yes, I am a first-time caller, well, so thank you Well, very make, much. make it a habit now, okay? We've, I will do that. It I was, promise It was great to hear from you, sir, and great, great yeah. conversation. Thank you very much. Yeah. I am Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Portions of the show brought to you by our good and dear friends at Y-Refi. Great folks, great uh, participants in uh, our community as well. They have an investment in a portfolio that is not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Uh, If you're concerned about bank failures or possible recession or inflation or the stock market's volatility, their investment is not related to, as I say, the Federal Reserve or the stock market. But it is a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly monthly income in or on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure and collateralized portfolio that delivers a high rate of return, up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. 888-YREFI-24. I was schooled on my uh, cardinal points on the compass earlier. I'm glad you guys did that. Um, Surprising it took so long. Weeks, weeks, took you weeks. But is uh, Terry still, still, uh, is is, uh, Miss Terry still uh, septent of you? Are you schooling me on my vocabulary now? No, I'm just asking if she's to the north of you. Is she septent of you? We used to ask if she was occident of uh, you. No longer. Oh, is she gone for the day? Gone for the day, yep. Oh, that Fred Flintstone whistle blew already for her, huh? Did it? <laughs> Yabba-dabba-doo. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, this is an additional. This uh, so shines a good deed in a naughty world. Who said that, young David? So, shine, so shines a good deed in a, a naughty or weary world. Where'd that come from? You get one of two choices. French. Uh, no. No? No. Old this English or current Hugo? English. No. You can go with Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice. Oh. Or you can go with Roald Dahl and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So shines a good deed. The mayor of Dallas, Eric Johnson. Oh, I did see this. Yes. One. Yes. Yes. He just switched parties. Uh, African-American Eric Johnson, America's cities need Republicans, and I'm becoming one, he writes in today's Wall Street Journal. I have been the mayor of Dallas for more than four years. During that time, my priority has been to make the city safer, stronger, and more vibrant. That meant saying no to those who wanted to defund the police. It meant fighting for lower taxes and a friendlier business climate, and it meant investing in family-friendly infrastructure such as better parks and trails. I'm going to get into more of what he writes a little bit later. 
talk some more politics in the next hour. We'll have George Kaloff in with us and uh, taking your calls. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.